Amen. Amen. Praise God. As we were singing that last service and this service, kept meditating on Jesus' words as he began his ministry here on earth. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. And so, as Tom just prayed, maybe some of you here need to know the freedom of the Lord. And it's available. Jesus is saying, I'm here to set you free. I'm here to break those chains, those things that are holding you down, holding you back. Recovery for the sighted blind, to set the press free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. God is for you. He wants to save you. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to rescue you. He's here to rescue me. Praise God. I pray that you would be set free today by Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm going to light a candle, and some of you were here for the Advent series, and uh, you saw a candle out of control. I'm not going to try to burn down this church, promise. All right, it's an illustration for a little bit later. We're going to continue the second Sunday in Ecclesiastes, and uh, I wasn't here last Sunday, but I listened to Bill Ewing share, and uh, just so excited uh, what God is going to do in me and through us. Uh, and every one of us through the book of Ecclesiastes. I think it's probably one of the most uh, misunderstood uh, books in the Bible uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the key things about, uh, that you learn about how to read and study the Bible, what we call that is hermeneutics, how do you interpret, how do you understand, is you always have to keep this in mind that context determines the meaning. And Ecclesiastes is one of those books that uh, gets read a lot. In fact, I, I've had people, uh, two different reactions when we've uh, heard, people have heard about Ecclesiastes. They either said, man, that's the most depressing thing, or I'm so excited <laughs> for it. So um, one of the most important things to understand is that we have to read the whole book, not just sections, because people can take sections and think, well, this is what uh, God is saying here, but if we see the whole context of what God is revealing, I think you're going to be amazed at what God is revealing to us through this book. Um, There's a Jewish tradition that Solomon, and some of you have been around church, know enough of history to know that Solomon uh, didn't follow God his whole life. In fact, he went way astray in so many areas of his life. And there's a a Jewish tradition that at the end of his life, Solomon repented and that he came back to God. We don't know that. The Bible doesn't say that plainly, but if there is even any evidence in the Bible, it's the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes, I believe, is a apologetic about why we need God, why we need to worship God above all else. And Solomon would be very qualified to talk about uh, going astray in that area. We got to remember that Ecclesiastes is a, is a book of wisdom literature. So, Uh, I got to admit, as a preacher, this is a very challenging book to preach through because it's not like Romans or an epistle. It's uh, poetry, and it has a lot of complexity to it. And it's uh, meant to stir our affections, our emotions, but it also speaks to our minds in a very deep way. Uh, It speaks to our minds and how we think about life and how we think about God. 
And so we have to see that uh, there's a whole logic that is being revealed to us throughout the book. And so we cannot interpret the book based on just one section. So it's going to be important to see the whole scope of what God is revealing here. But I think one of the key questions as we go into this is really what brings human beings ultimate joy and satisfaction? What is it that ultimately brings satisfaction and joy to our lives? That's really what we're grappling with in the book of Ecclesiastes. What, what is meaning and purpose for the human life? So uh, my brother-in-law uh, is in Minnesota, my, married to my wife's sister. Love him. He's a great guy. He's a Minnesotan and he's a farmer and uh, of Scandinavian heritage. And if you know anything about Scandinavian heritage is there's a thing called personal space. <laughs> and he's got a lot of personal space. Um, so when my kids were little, um, he's, he's a really warm, gentle guy. And so they just wanted to jump on him and touch him and get his, their hands in his face. And so we were trying to help our kids realize, you know, uh, Uncle Josh, he has a bubble, okay? And don't pop his bubble, okay? <laughs> so, we had to, so now we joke about it, we laugh about that. But we all have bubbles. Now, it might not be our personal space. Some of us are less that way than others. But there are things in us that we're uncomfortable talking about or thinking about or being around, okay? We all have them. Now, Ecclesiastes, especially in these first two chapters, is really about bubble popping. So be prepared to be a little uncomfortable because <laughs> Ecclesiastes is going to confront the reality of life the realities of life. Uh, I'm just going to name three that are going to be popped here in this first chapter. One is uh, the reality that Ecclesiastes is going to remind us that Genesis shares with us so plainly is that this world is under a terrible curse. There is a such thing as sin. And the curse has done a horrible thing to this world, to to our lives and to the human story. And so Ecclesiastes doesn't let us ignore that. It, it's going to expose that reality that we're under a terrible curse and there is a sinful uh, curse over our lives and over this world. Second, this book is going to confront uh, this thinking that we have that somehow we can get ahead, that somehow we can gain something in this life. This, book, this first chapter is going to pop that bubble. The third one is that somehow wisdom and knowledge in of itself is unable to provide lasting human joy and satisfaction. That there is no way for human beings to arrive at that in their own understanding and their own knowledge. So those are three big bubbles that are going to be confronted here today. So... Uh, you saw me light this candle, and uh, I did this to help you understand something because uh, we're going to read out of the NASB Ecclesiastes 1 through 18. Now, chapter 1 in the NIV, which I usually preach out of, I think misinterprets uh, the word, the Hebrew word, havel, which the NIV translates as meaningless. I think that's wrong. I don't think that's a correct understanding. And so... What I think he is getting at has to do with what we're going to see here when I blow this out. Do you see that smoke? Some of you can see it. 
Now, I'm going to try to grab it, but I can't. I can see it. It's physical, but I cannot grasp it. So we're going to read Ecclesiastes 1, and if you have that image, that will help you understand what he's talking about. It's up on your screens, or you can open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. I'm going to read it in the NASB. These are the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What advantage does man have in all his work, which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also the sun rises and the sun sets. And hastening to its place, it rises there again, blowing towards the south, then turning towards the north. The wind continues swirling along in all its circular courses, and the wind returns. And all the rivers flow into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again, and all things are wearisome. And man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been, and that which will be, and that which has been done, and which will be done, so there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, See, this is new. Already it has existed for ages, which was before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things, and also the later things which will occur. There will be more there will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. And I, the preacher, who have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and to explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and know madness and folly. And I realize that this also is striving after the wind. Because in much wisdom there is much grief. An increase in knowledge results in increasing pain. God's Word. So, we believe that God revealed these words to Solomon probably in the later parts of his life. Um, he's older, and we can maybe assume that Proverbs was written probably when he was younger. <laughs> and in Proverbs, you see a little more of this idea of a black and white world, but in Ecclesiastes, we see God's revealing of the complexity of life. Just like this smoke that you saw rising, I couldn't control it. I couldn't grasp it. And that's the first thing we're confronted with in Ecclesiastes, is this idea of vanity, which really the Hebrew word is vapor or breath. Like, it's visible, it's real, but you can't control it. You can't see it. You can't do something with it. And that's one of the great dilemmas for us as human beings is we want to control things, right? We get up in the morning and we have our plan for the day and we kind of think we know what's going to happen. But the reality is we find that 
it's just an illusion that so much is out of our understanding or out of our grasp. We can't control or hold on to so much. David uh, Gibson, as he talks about this idea in chapter 1 of Ecclesiastes, about the complexity of life, he says, Ecclesiastes is a meditation on how life seems to elude our grasp in terms of lasting significance. And that's a major theme for us throughout this book is what is significant? What is meaning? What will provide satisfaction for our hearts and for our lives? And so, so much of what we control or try to control, we realize doesn't fully um, satisfy. If we try and gain control of the world and our lives by what we understand and by what we do, we find that the control we seek eludes us. That is what Solomon is saying. Havel, it's like smoke. It's like vapor. It's like breath. You cannot grasp it. You cannot control it. So the question then for us as we go through this is to think about why is God confronting us with this reality? Um, And I think part of it is we are really good at pretending. Uh, I was born with an imagination. I think everyone has an imagination, which I think is a, a beautiful reflection of God's image in us. Some of you have more active imaginations than others. I have a very active imagination. Ever since I was a kid, I, I see stories, I see things, and uh, that's good and bad, but I love pretending. In fact, uh, one of the things I've done with my kids over the years is on the way to school, I tell them made up stories, and I got all kinds of made up characters. And so I'm really good at pretending. But I think if we're honest, even the most logical of us here, we all pretend about things. And I think this is partly what God is revealing to us in Ecclesiastes is God's going to confront us with reality, that we can't just pretend everything away in life. And so verse 3 really becomes the key question throughout the story. And we're going to see this repeated throughout Ecclesiastes. What do people gain from all their labors in which they toil under the sun? In the NSB it says, what advantage? And so here's one of the key themes that we're going to be wrestling with in Ecclesiastes is this idea of gain. How do we get ahead? Right? This is a question of satisfaction. What do, what do we gain from all our effort, all our labor? This idea of gain. I think Ecclesiastes is going to pop that bubble, that pretending that somehow we can get ahead, that we can gain something. A lot of times we think, we imagine life is like the stock market. It's this direct line that we just kind of follow and there's some dips, but it's just continually going up, right? And so we kind of think of our lives that way as a line in which we're walking, but we're improving and we're getting better. And uh, Ecclesiastes confronts us on that and says, wait a minute, Um, that is not really how life really works. In fact, we see in creation that there's another picture of how God created life to be. But we pretend, we imagine that things are just going to get better and better. I'm going to pick on myself, but I'm going to pick on all of you a little bit as we think about ways that we pretend that somehow we're going to gain. So what if, let's pretend, what if I pastored a bigger 
more influential church, would that somehow make me happier, more satisfied as a person? What if everyone just liked me and no one didn't like me? Would I somehow be better off? Would I be happier? What if you could pick any car you wanted and you could get the fastest car on the lot? Would that suddenly make your life much better? Would you be satisfied? Would you be happier? What if you could get a house with a pool? Would suddenly life just be that much better because you could swim? Okay. <laughs> for some of you, it might be. <laughs> Thank you for your honesty. Okay. <laughs> what if you never had to move again? What if you could stay in the same place and never have to move again? Would suddenly that make life just perfect? Would you finally be happy? What if you didn't have to get the third or fourth generation phone, you could get the newest one? Now we're talking, right? Life's going to get better, right? What if, what if you could eat whatever you wanted? <laughs> okay, now we're meddling, right? <laughs> Would life get better? Okay, moms, here's, a, here's, here's one. What if all the laundry and the diapers and, and maybe some of you dads, what if all the schedules and the, the activities, what if all of that got quieter and it got less busy and you didn't have so much on your plate? Would you be happier then? So we can talk about all these things. We can pretend that if we had something or if something changed or if we only could, then we would be happy. Then we would escape this weariness. Jesus warned us about this when he says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? See, this is the question. You know, if I could just have one more donut. <laughs> the temptation of gain is that somehow by having that or experiencing that, then I will be full then I will be complete, but then I need one more. And I see this in myself, I see this in my kids, I see this in every person I've ever encountered. In fact, C.S. Lewis in his screw tape letters, when he talked about the devil and his temptation of people, he talked about the temptation of, of people just having uh, something new or one more of something as a way to lead people into bondage, into destruction. And we see that in our world. What do people do to gain? What do people sacrifice to get ahead, to make more? And so Solomon, as he looks at this reality, he says, generations come, generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun sets, and hurries back to, it right, to where it goes. And so he says, is there such a thing as gain? Can we really get ahead? Can we really be satisfied by getting one more? And this is what his conclusion is in verse 8. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. He's making a profound observation about the human condition. And this is part of the curse, is... If only I could have one more, if I can only have this, then I will be satisfied. But the reality is it never is enough. I am never satisfied. 
My kids always want one more video game, right? <laughs> they always want one more thing. But the reality is it's unfulfilling. It's unable to fill our eyes, our ears, our hearts. And this is the greatest temptation. And this is the first bubble that is popped as we come through Ecclesiastes is that somehow we could gain in this life. Solomon makes an observation from creation. We believe as Christians that God has divinely inspired the word of God and we call this special revelation. We never would have understood who God was if he had not revealed himself, if he had not through his Holy Spirit inspired men, if he had not revealed himself in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. But we also believe in general revelation, meaning that the fingerprints of God are revealed in what he has made. And so by looking at creation, we can see who God is and aspects of his nature, of his character, and what he has made in creation. And so this is where Solomon goes. He looks around, and he looks at the sun, he looks at the wind, and he looks at the water cycle, and he observes all these things. He looks at them, and what he realizes is life is not a line where it slowly gets better and better, but it's cyclical. And he sees this pattern as far back as human beings have recorded history, as far back as we can remember in our, in our human, human history, the sun has always risen and the sun has always set. It's always been there in our, from our perspective. And so he reminds us that this reality of creation points to a greater reality than just us. <laughs> that there's something more permanent than us. And this creation points to the reality of God, this reality of God. And so the temptation is that somehow we can break out of the repetition of the cycle in our own effort, in our own strength. This is the temptation of gain, that somehow we can be satisfied outside of that. But then he reminds us of the ultimate reality that we must face that all of us are destined to die. Now, we're really good at pretending that death doesn't exist. <laughs> we're really good at ignoring that reality. I had a, a, a pastor a friend who said over and over, the death rate hasn't changed. It's still one per, per person, and it's still 100%. We all have a mortal disease. We're all inflicted with this reality that death is coming. And Ecclesiastes points to that reality. It confronts us with that reality, that we're not going to live forever, that there is an end point in our lives here on earth. I think uh, there's a man named Stephen Covey who wrote a book, Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. Maybe some of you have read it. It's been kind of a popular book. But I'm convinced he read Ecclesiastes <laughs> because one of his main points is that to truly live you have to understand the end. You have to understand that you have to keep the end in mind. And so he says you have to think about death. You have to think about how your life is going to end if you're going to truly live. And this is what Solomon is confronting with us. He's not here revealing this to depress us. <laughs> He's revealing this to us so that we can truly learn to live. So here's, here's the issue. If we don't live forever, or even long enough to make a lasting difference in the world, then how should we live? How can we experience joy 
in this life. That's what God wants to reveal to us. That's what we need to grapple with in our hearts. Now, throughout this series, there's going to be a contrast between gain and gift. Gain and gift. We're not going to be able to understand the gift until later in Ecclesiastes, but the soil is being prepared. The soil of our hearts is being prepared to grapple with reality, to stop pretending, to stop ignoring the reality of death, but to see it, to understand that God has a greater purpose than just trying to strive and chase the wind and gain, but to understand that there is a gift <laughs> that God can give that can break the repetitive cycle, that can open our eyes to a new true reality that God is making. Douglas Wilson called uh, Ecclesiastes in his book, Joy at the End of the Tether. I love that title. <laughs> Wish I had come up with it. He says, a wise believer is a man who knows the length of his tether. It seems so simple, but that opens the reality that we need God. We're human. We're limited. We're temporary. Our lives are fleeting. So if we don't live forever, then how should we live on this earth? Solomon, as he's popping these bubbles, <laughs> he poses an idea. He says, there's nothing new under the sun. Now, on face value, some of you are saying, wait a minute. I don't think that's true because Solomon didn't have an iPhone. And in Solomon's day, they didn't go to the moon. They didn't have automobiles. There's lots of new things, right? But remember, context determines meaning. We can't understand what he's saying if we don't understand the context. What's he talking about? He's talking about human satisfaction. He's talking about how do we truly live? How do we truly satisfied in this life? And what he's saying is nothing that we come up with addresses that issue. So let's take the phone. We have never been more connected than with this. I can text, I can contact anyone all over the world at any moment with this. I can communicate with all kinds of people. But the reality is we have never lived in a time of more disconnection. I meet people all the time who are lonely, who feel like they don't have any friends. And so we have a new device, but we have the same human problem. We don't. We have a hard time relating, connecting with other people. That's not that's an old problem that's always existed. And so there is nothing new under the sun. So we can get to the moon. My kids love to talk about space and they came to me one day and they said, Dad, we, we want to go to a star someday. <laughs> so I said, okay, let's look this up. Let's figure out what it would take to get to the closest star beyond our sun. And so we started looking at how many light years. And we started talking about how long is a light year. And their eyes just got bigger and bigger. And my eyes were getting bigger and bigger. And we thought, man, okay, so even if we could get to that star, what would it take to get the next star? And then, and then that's just in our galaxy. And then we look at the next galaxy and, oh my goodness, have we gained anything by getting to the moon? Because then there's Mars and then there's the next time. And then you look at the universe and you say, there is no end. It goes on and on forever. There's no fill. There's no completing the task. 
There's no gain. That's a human problem. Explorers have always looked for a new place, but there's always more, and there's always more, and there's always more. You see, there's nothing new under the sun. We still have the same human condition. We still are not satisfied. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. And so, we look for the new, but the reality is we cannot find this on our own. We cannot find this on our own. This is why we need the gift. I want to just briefly, before we celebrate communion, talk about science. Uh, because Solomon ends this section talking about wisdom and knowledge. And if there's anything in our culture today, and remember, I, I believe Ecclesiastes is an apologetic. It's a defense of why we need God, of understanding our ultimate human need for God. And in our world, a lot of people have rejected God and said, we've just replaced it with science, with knowledge, with understanding of the world around us. What's the problem with that? The issue Solomon is helping us see is that wisdom and knowledge in of itself doesn't address the deepest human longing for meaning. Um, Christianity Today did a great uh, article uh, where they... They, uh, they had a man share his testimony, and he's a, a scientist. He's a professor at, at several major universities, and he tells a story where he looks for science to somehow uh, fill the void in his life, and he didn't know anything about God. He didn't know anything about Christ, and so he lived his whole life as an atheist, but something was deeply, deeply missing in his soul. And this is what he says, Along the way, I made many discoveries, and I learned about the power of the Bible as a guide from God to the central questions of our existence. I learned that the true purpose of science is to describe how things are, not to engage in misplaced speculation about why the world is the way it is. And so he, he helps us understand that science has a purpose. And as Christians, sometimes we've gotten this wrong. We've, we've tried to uh, maybe out of fear of different things attack science, but really they're addressing two different things. Science is addressing how things are, how, what we can observe, but it doesn't address the why question. This is what he says, I learned that modern atheist taunts about the purposelessness and meaninglessness of the universe and our own existence are not only false, but destructive. Most importantly, I learned that nothing I have learned came through my own merit but only from the grace of our Lord, whose love and mercy are beyond understanding. You see, this man, his name is Sai uh, Garte, realized he couldn't understand satisfaction through gain, even the gaining of wisdom and knowledge, that he needed a gift. <laughs> he needed a gift. And you can't argue with the human story, and I think many of us here have a faith in God because we understand we need the gift that we can't achieve, we can't gain on our own, that we need God's gift to understand purpose, to understand meaning, to understand joy in this life. I know that's my story as well. I'm going to invite the elders to come up. We're going to celebrate communion because, and the servers, if you guys could come up and start to pass this out, we need communion because this reminds us that Jesus lived the life of not pretending.
He didn't pretend. And I've read the story of Jesus over and over, and I'm amazed that Jesus, he never chased after wealth. He never chased after the things that we think will bring us gain. Rather, he lived a laser-focused life on God and his glory and worship of God. And he understood that the most important thing we could ever do in life is to love other people. And he lived that out. He touched the leper. He went to the beggar. He confronted the most horrible human dilemmas, the most horrible human problems that we like to ignore, like we like to pretend that don't exist. Jesus went right there. But the biggest thing that Jesus didn't pretend about was death. His disciples said, he, he told his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And what does the disciples say? No, Jesus, don't do it. <laughs> don't die. But he said, I must go there. Because Jesus understood that this endless cycle of death needed to be broken. And I believe that's what Ecclesiastes is pointing to, this hope that death will be broken. And Jesus went there. He went to the cross to die for a purpose, to set us free from the meaninglessness and the purposelessness of life. He died to conquer death and to give us the hope of everlasting life, eternal life, that life was meant to be lived with God. And so as we take these elements, I want you to hold on to them, and we're going to take them all together in a few minutes.